Sports Show is owned and produced by Tim Unglesby. All opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV Management or any of their advertisers. Are you ready? Now back to Heatwave Sports. Right, <laughs> Tommy, as you were saying, we're looking at the handle for March Madness. So the numbers weren't going to be available yet, but Atlantic City, you know, everybody was happy, and, and the crowds here in Vegas were, were absolutely reminiscent of years past for me when I saw them. Just keep talking. Uh, it says that he's connected, so I don't know what's going on. Can you guys hear me? I can't hear anything if you guys could hear me. There we go. Tommy Barton. Okay, I'm back. Live radio. Jeez, man. <laughs> All right, we were, ta- we were saying the, the handle. <laughs> the handle, <laughs> we don't know the, the official numbers, but um, you said the AC was happy. I know Vegas ecstatic with the crowds, so... It's going to be a nice number, I think, when we when we see the final number. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, like I was saying, you know, Thursday, Friday, they usually do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So some people take off Thursday, but most people, they wait until they're done from work on Thursday. Then, you know, you take off on Friday, they get there for Friday, Saturday, and, and Sunday. And it's both both destinations if you're driving in or flying in or, or what you're doing. Um, even though people aren't flocking in uh, like they normally would, it was a little bit easier this year because it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So a lot of people came out and said, you know what, I'm going to take off. I'll be there all day Friday, all day Saturday, which the first two days are the most exciting. And then they stayed, kind of check out at Sunday. I, I was uh, going downstairs Sunday morning, and there had to be a line of 100 people at checkout at, at that point. I mean, everybody was a mass exodus, but they had already gotten in for those first two days. That's really, really where I, I think that they're going to do well. Now, you take that. And then you also say, oh, by the way, let's also remember that at the end of the day, Tim, uh, the mobile, the mobile will be huge. A lot more people still working from home. So you don't have to sit in your little cubicle, right, and hope, oh, man, I'm going to watch the app or I'm going to do this. I hope my boss doesn't walk by. No, a lot of people working from home. And the people that are working from home are sitting around and they're going, you know what? I'm working from home. I'm sitting around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do pick a couple of bets. Let's make this thing interesting. I think that their mobile number, I think they're going to be ecstatic. Well, you said you saw people checking out Sunday, obviously, because normally it would run Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So what was the crowd like Monday for games? And, what you know, again, it's going to affect this week as well because there's games Monday because of uh, the way the schedule is written out because of the COVID. But I have to assume that Monday it was the crowds were sparse. I'm assuming I saw, uh, I'll say at least two or three tumbleweeds go across the casino. I mean, there was nobody in there. I mean, there was absolutely nobody. Um, nobody in the sports books. We were there, you know, uh, Monday hanging out. Nobody in the sports books. Nobody anywhere. Anywhere you wanted to go. Uh, it was a mass exodus. And Atlantic City isn't really an exodus type of town, right? I mean, you have your, your people that just constantly kind of stay there. But, yeah, it was a mass exodus. And there was nobody there on Monday at all. Well, let's try to get into these games before the Gremlins chew through the wires again here. we got four games tomorrow, which will get to our eight teams. 
to play in the regional finals, semifinals. First game in the morning, number one, Gonzaga will take on number five, Creighton Tom. The Zags, impressive in this tournament, to say the least. They are a double-digit, 13.5-point favorite over Creighton in the morning. Yeah, I don't know how you'd bet against Gonzaga here. And I'm not telling you to bet on Creighton, right? I just don't know how you could possibly bet against Gonzaga. I, I did a little uh, a little fun parlay, um, and, and you know how I am with the parlays. But I was there. I said, you know what? I'll take a shot at Gonzaga in the over, right, uh, uh, for that second game. They're just an unstoppable force. If you watch this team, and I told you, I thought that they would get knocked off. And I, I, I told you, I think it's just a very tough thing to go undefeated. Man, Tim, how can you possibly go to a window and bet against Gonzaga? And in and, and that case, how can you possibly not think that this team is just going to roll on? I have been more impressed with Gonzaga in this tournament. And they're kind of getting overlooked. Why? Because they're steamrolling people, but steamrolling people, they're supposed to steamroll. Yeah, sure. Well, here comes Creighton. Creighton is a team that before the year, I kind of tabbed and I said, you know what? That's a team to watch out for. That's a Creighton team to pay attention to. But they have very big time uh, lulls here. They have ups and downs and lulls that just at the end of the day, man, uh, you know, they're just an inconsistent bunch. I don't think they have the defense to keep up. And I know that their defense has been playing a little bit better. They don't have the de defense to keep up. And offensively, you have to put up. You got to really believe in your mind. 85 is the number that you have to hit to beat Gonzaga. And you might you might get lucky and a terrible shooting night, and, and you know they only score 78. Or you have to put it in your mind before the game. They're staying, they're laying in their beds there, the the Blue Jays, and saying, you know what, 85, 85 is the number we got to get to. That's a hard task to go into a game. And it, the whole one game at a time and don't think about it and all that, Tim, you know, throw that out the window. That's all garbage. You're going to think about it, and you're going to know, you know what, we got to score 85. I mean, that's what they know. They've won 25 consecutive games with double digits. We saw them come back from a double-digit deficit in, a, in the West Coast Conference championship game against BYU. So you're right. If you have to go in thinking, you know, most times you said it right. It's one game. We play our best. We can win it. But it's more like, you're right, you have to hit 85 points, hope they have a bad game, Tom, and basically shoot lights out in order to win this. I just don't think Creighton has the tools to do it. Yeah, that's the thing. Creighton's going to have to, not only are they going to have to shoot you know, lights out, they're going to have to shoot lights out from deep. And even then, and that this is the thing about this Gonzaga team. Even if you shoot lights out, Tim, and you score, and you have a six-scoring game, right? Might not matter. It might not matter because Gonzaga might just score a little bit more. You got to have the perfect game to even be in contention. And you may play your perfect game. And guess what? They still beat you. I mean, Oklahoma didn't play a poor game. They didn't play a terrible game. They still gave up 87. You look at Virginia. Virginia, I mean, I got smoked, but they put up. Now, Iowa, think about earlier in the season, Iowa coming in. You want to play offense against offense? Cool. We got the best offense player. Watch me put up 88. They put up 99 on them. So that's the problem. I mean, even BYU put up 78, right, in that game. You look at what the Gonzaga Bulldogs are, and it's not even about what you do as Creighton. Yeah, you can have a great game. You could have your perfect game. Still might not be enough. And that is just a hard concept to go up against and, and to try to face here. Any thoughts on the total? 158 and a half. Can Creighton get to a uh, 
a 70 here and, and still get blown out and cover this number if you like the over? I kind of like the under a little bit. I, I think this is like a, I, I think it's going to be within, within points. I think this is like an 84 70 type of game. You know, I think it's right on the number. Gonzaga probably covers, but I don't think they blow them out by 25. I think, you know, they probably cover by three, four points, probably goes under by three, four points. So it's not enough for me to take, uh, but I lean under, not the over. I think it's hard to, to do that. I think it's hard to go take Gonzaga and not take the over. So I'll stay away from the total here. Gonzaga probably covers by a point or two, and the under probably comes in by a point or two. I think it's going to be real close. The late game, also out of the West region. It's a Pac-12 matchup, Tom. It's a battle of the six and the seven. You have Oregon and you have USC Trojans, a two-point favorite, the total 138 in this one. So essentially a, another Pac-12 regular season matchup here in a Sweet 16. Yeah, this is a really interesting game. I had Chris Penrose on uh, Sports Garden Network last week, and uh, Chris is a uh, the three-time captain of the USC basketball team. And he had mentioned uh, that he really thought that this Oregon team could make a run, this USC team could make a run, and here we are. Dana Altman is just a phenomenal – I mean, th this guy gets into the tournament. What does he do? Cover, cover, covers, right? I mean, that, that's what he does. He just uh, makes people turn their head. This is a tough game. USC played Oregon earlier in the season, but they did it without their best player, and they still won. The rebounding advantage is going to be massively in USC's corner. You have to look at this team and think that they're the favorite. But what we've watched in Oregon has generally been more impressive. And I think that people are going to get caught up with the impressive aspect. Why? Well, they only played one game, <laughs> right? I mean, they only played one game, but they played it against Iowa and they put up 95. That is impressive. That turns heads. Now, we know better, Tim, right? I mean, we know better than to fall into, okay, you played one game and you put up 95 and that's supposed to be impressive. Against a team, by the way, in Iowa that just flat out doesn't play defense. I look at USC's path and I say, you know what? They're the impressive team. While the rest of the country is going to look at Oregon and see the 95 and see them beating a number two seed, I'm looking at USC. Drake was a tough opponent. They handled them pretty easily. Kansas was playing some really good defense going into this tournament. And Bill Self said many times, oh, listen, defense, defense, defense. I know they had the COVID problems. They put up 85 on them. Now go late into the year and look at what USC did. They stumbled along the way, but they stumbled in Boulder. Then they stumbled on the road against Utah. They lost by two against Colorado. Well, they had a problem with Colorado across, across the entirety of the year. They lost to Colorado three times. So three of their seven losses were just up against a team that they didn't match up well against. Oregon is a team they actually match up well against. And I look at this Oregon team and I go, everyone's on them. I'm not taking this game, by the way. But everyone's on Oregon and everyone wants to talk about how impressive Oregon is. I look at USC and I go, you know what? I think they're getting a little discounted here. What do you I've talked to that I'm familiar with loves the Ducks tomorrow, and uh, you know how it is with public sentiment. You said it. They they played once. USC beat them. Beat them handily. Second game wiped out due to the COVID. And uh, really, you're talking about athletically, SC just so athletic. And I think this is going to be a really good basketball game. And interesting how it matches up with the team that wins will most likely play a Gonzaga, and um, 
you know, if you're looking at a shot, it's not great. It might be the team that wins this game that has a shot at taking the, the Zags out. It might be, but guess what? The spread's still going to be double digits, Tim. I mean, that Gonzaga train, right? It's going to be double digits later on in the week. What is that, Tuesday? If Gonzaga gets by Creighton and whoever, it's Oregon or USC. And you're going to see double-digit line, 9.5, 10, 10.5, right around there. It's not going to be as much as the 13.5 from Creighton. And you're going to look at people going, trying to find holes in Gonzaga at this point. Can, can, can Gonzaga fall? Sure. This is not the weekend that Gonzaga's going down, though. You say it'll be Final Four or the Final. They're going to get to the Final Four or the championship, and if they're going to lose, it'll be there is what you're saying. I think a lot depends on who plays tomorrow, the game that we're getting to. If Florida State moves on, Florida State has a chance to upset them. The size is just something that can disrupt this team. If Michigan moves on, then Gonzaga might not be unstoppable. I mean, they, they literally might be unstoppable. I don't see a team in the field right now. And remember, before the tournament began, I told you guys, Gonzaga's going down. I just don't see it. Outside of Florida State, and strictly the reason for Florida State is because of the size. Outside of Florida State, Tim, just don't see a team that can even stand in their way. Well, let's talk about it. The second game of the afternoon on CBS, one versus four, Michigan, Florida State, the Wolverines, the one seed, a two-point favorite, the line 143. You love this game. I know you do. Yeah, I like Florida State a lot, I, and, and I don't like Michigan a lot. So it winds up being a perfect storm for me, and it's, it's a perfect storm where I have to pull back on the reins. Okay, you guys know I hit a level four play last weekend with Florida State. Uh, I, I just absolutely crushed last weekend with two level four plays. I've had two level four plays in the totality of 2021, so you can see how much I liked it. I had to pull myself back off this because I do like Florida State. And I like them a lot here, but I pulled myself back because the, it's just the perfect storm of I can't even see a path where Michigan wins this game. I can't see a path, Tim. So I, I'm not going to usually on the air. What do I try to do? I try to kind of dance around it a little bit. And I go, hey, go to TomBartonSports.com for the actual pick. I, I can't dance around anything. I have to just go full bore and tell you exactly what it is. Look, Michigan looks vulnerable. Yes, they won that game, but they look vulnerable. They're missing livers. They're missing one of their big players, and they look ripe and ready to go down. Now, they've played competition that they have fairly matched up well with, that they've matched up to a point where you look at them and you say, okay, I get it. I get why they got by them. I don't think it was a tough competition. I don't think it was an easy road for Michigan, but I get it. You can deal with missing your best player. Florida State's a different animal. Florida State is the tallest team in America. They average, they average six foot eight. That is just gigantic size. But what's dangerous about Florida State is besides just averaging six foot eight, because then you go, they're a defensive team, right? Defense, rebounding, you know that's going to be a problem getting in the zone. Well, how about this? They're also the best three-point percentage shooting team in the ACC, and they're the best fast-break team in the ACC. ACC's a good conference, guys. ACC's got some big-time runners, right? North Carolina's a runner. I mean, they, they have running teams. So not only is this team large, the largest in the country, but they also get out on the break. They're also fast. They're also agile, and they can hit three-pointers. I've said it all year long. If Florida State could ever play to their potential, they are the team that can take it down Gonzaga. 
I don't know if they're going to play to for their to their full potential because I've watched them not play to their full potential, right? I watched them lose to Georgia Tech in a game that I, I was throwing things at the TV because I'm going, what are we watching here? Like, what are you doing? So I know that it can happen. I don't see any path to a Michigan victory here other than Florida State literally taking out a six-shooter like uh, from Elmer Fudd and blowing their foot off because that's the only way they're going to lose this game. Florida State should not be the underdog. They should be the favorite. If Livers was healthy, I get it. Michigan without their best player and Florida State with a size advantage, shooting advantage, speed advantage, it's just too much to overcome for Michigan. This is a live dog. Ned, on Selection Sunday, not, we were talking about the nine Big Ten teams that made the field of 68. Michigan is the last one standing. Tom, you said that the Big Ten was overrated all year. And, and here we could be looking at tomorrow night, zero teams advancing into the lead eight. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, the age-old story, Tim. The SEC football is great because the SEC football plays the SEC football. And as long as they tell you they're great, then beating another SEC team seems great. Well, it happened to the Big Ten this year. I'm not telling you that Illinois had a bad year or, or you know, go down the list of, of potential teams, Wisconsin and Michigan State and all of them, and now Michigan. They had a fine year, but people were ranting and raving about how just tremendously good this conference was and how we have to fall all over ourselves and trip over ourselves for this conference. And a lot of it was because Illinois was beating up on Big Ten teams and Michigan was beating up on Big Ten teams. And you want to talk about playing inside the Big Ten. How about the fact that Michigan got destroyed by Illinois by 20 at home when Illinois was missing their best player? You can't erase that game out of my memory. And I look at the Illinois uh, Illini, and I know they're sitting at home, but I look at that team and I say they have a lot of similar attributes to what Florida State can do tomorrow. Florida State is in a position tomorrow where they can choose which path they want. Do they want to run on the on Michigan? If they run on Michigan, I think they're going to be in a little bit of trouble, but they can win that kind of game. Do they want to just play three-point shooting? They play that game. Yeah, you know what? They can win that kind of game. They want to go big? Well, nobody goes big like Florida State. Michigan's probably going to try to take it small. So I think that tomorrow what we're going to watch is what is the game plan that Leonard Hamilton puts forward? And whatever that game plan is, is going to tell me, is Florida State going to have to adjust at half or are they just going to blow Michigan out? I don't think that this is going to be a game where Florida State's coming from behind or they're in trouble very often. I think this is uh, – this is one of the more boring type of games where Florida State gets out to an 8-10 point lead and just kind of sits on it. The uh, the mid-afternoon matchup, number two, Alabama, against number 11, UCLA, another Pac-12 team, Tom. The Crimson Tide, 6.5 point favorite, 145.5 is the total. And the winner of this game will play the winner of the game you just talked about, Florida-Michigan State. How's uh, 2 versus 11 go tomorrow, Alabama, UCLA? You know, you want to talk about path, right? Uh, let's talk about the, about the UCLA path, which, I, I mean, I don't know what to make of it. They took on a Michigan State team that I didn't think deserved to be in the tournament. I made that loud and clear, got a lot of pushback. Tom Barton Sports, come on, Michigan State. Well, Michigan State went, went goodbye. Bye-bye, right? So they took on a Michigan State team I didn't believe should be in the tournament, but a lot of people liked them. They took on a BYU team that me and you, when we were breaking this down, said, we don't know what to make about BYU. Because their their best competition were losses. <laughs> I mean, their best game of the year was the fact that they had a 10-point lead 
against Gonzaga at the half. And they still lost that game by 10, you know. And then they took on Abilene Christian, which is, you know, it's, I mean, look, it's a nice game, but let's be honest. I don't know who this UCLA team is. I still don't. They ended the season losing four in a row. And four in a row where they lost by, you know, nine, eight, one. Yeah, I mean, four. They were losing close games. They were losing tight games. They were losing big blowouts. This is a weird UCLA team. I just don't know who you are. And I have made my disdain for Alabama very, very perfectly clear. I do not like this Alabama basketball team. I don't like them because I don't like teams that just play zero defense and they just don't care about anything else. And that's what I saw in Alabama. There were games this year where they were pressed. They were tough and pressed. And basically, they just said, okay, we're just going to keep running and running. If a game gets close, we're going to run. The games that they lost him, they scored 66 against Arkansas, 65 against Missouri, 61 against Oklahoma, 71 against uh, Western Kentucky, 56 against Clemson, 64 against Stanford. Not one game did they lose did they have their scoring. Now, they rely upon 80-plus points a game. They did squeak one out against Iona, right? And I said squeak one out. I know they won them by 13, but that was a tough game. They squeak one out where they only scored 68. Well, that was more of a product of Iona only scoring 55. They put up 96 against Maryland. That's the kind of game they like to play. They want a game like Maryland. UCLA's not going to give them that kind of game. They're not going to allow that to happen. So I don't know what to make about this UCLA team. I would like to believe in them here. I'd love to jump on them and tell you that they're going to win. I think the spread is pretty much dead accurate. Alabama is about a six, six and a half point favorite. That makes a lot of sense. Wouldn't shock me to see how UCLA win this game, though, Tim, because I really do wonder, can Alabama win a game that is close and tight and at the end, they can't rely upon their scoring. They have to rely upon their defense. I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, you talk about conference play, and you look at UCLA. So heading into the tournament, they lost four straight. Colorado, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, all those teams made the field of 68. They gave up a 40 spot in the first half against Michigan State, find a way to come back and win that game. And like you said, round two, look, they were just the better team at that point. So... What do we see here? Does coaching come into this for any f factor for you? Mick Cronin for the Bruins and Nate Oates for the Crimson Tide. Uh, you mean UNLV coaches? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not really. I mean, I really don't. I don't think that there's a distinct advantage one way or the other here. I, it, to me, this is all about execution. If uh, Alabama can execute some kind of defense, then we look at this and we go, Alabama's going to win. If this is pure offense and it has to be that kind of scoring game and they're hoping that Alabama gets to 85, just don't think that they could, uh, you know, play that kind of game and be competitive. I think UCLA might bite them. Keep it low scoring if and UCLA could win this game. Alabama's going to have to do something that I haven't seen them do this year to kind of turn my head, but I still don't know what to make of UCLA. I really don't. All right, those are the look at the four games tomorrow to take us to the Elite Eight. Let's take a timeout. We'll step aside, come back, move on through to some pro basketball as we saw the trade deadline come and go in the NBA and still some, some pieces being formed here. And are the Nets just assembling a, a roster of former NBA All-Stars? We'll talk to Tom about that after the timeout. It's Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 989 FM, 1340 AM.
we sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby. Yeah, we're going to talk some NBA here real quick. As the big news today, seven-time All-Star LaMarcus Aldridge agrees to a contract buyout with San Antonio Tom, and he joins the Brooklyn Nets loaded with talent here as they head into the, the second half of the stretch run towards the playoffs of the NBA. So Blake Griffin, two weeks ago, Tommy, LaMarcus Aldridge this week. Tim, <laughs> uh, didn't I, I, I'm, I, I'm asking this facetiously. Didn't Kevin Durant leave so he could do it on his own? Right? Wasn't that like a thing? Yeah. But yeah. Wasn't Kevin Durant wanted to go prove a point that he could win on his own? Didn't Kevin Durant actually have some tweets out there? Hey, everyone's going, uh, you know, forming super teams. How about how about we do this on our own? He was talking about that in OKC. Then he talked about it. Then he, then he jumped ship and went to Golden State, won, and said, I got to go do this on my own. Well, KD, does on your own mean Kyrie, Durant, <laughs> Kyrie Harden, Jordan? I, I mean, is, is, is Pippen coming back? Uh, is, uh, is Bird coming back? Do you think Magic can suit him up? I mean, this is ridiculous, Tim. And look, I got nothing against the Nets at all. Uh, I, I hope that the Nets knock off L.A. I don't like the Lakers, right? But it kind of gets ridiculous when you just see guys going, yeah, I don't want to play for this team, but, oh, I'll play for the super team. You know, super teams is a term that really can only apply in the NBA because the NBA is a joke product. It, it, it's, a, it's a laughable product that is unwatchable and has been unwatchable for nearly a decade. It's moves like this that push people further and further away from the product. And I thought this was a, a, just a, a terrible move for the NBA, but a great move for the Nets. And basically, I mean, who's standing in their way now? We're, we're looking at Nets Lakers. The NBA wants Nets Lakers. This is about as set up as Patrick Ewing going to the Knicks in the frozen card. You know, it's amazing that they can fit all these guys under the cap, too. But when you're already a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, Tom, you'll, you'll play for whatever the, the low exemption is, right? I mean, other than these guys don't have any rings. Most of them don't. So that's what they're playing for, essentially. Yeah, what gets me is why are they all just dying to play for a guy that isn't even suited up right now? I, I mean, they, they are flocking to this team. Is it strictly because, you know what, it's a nice easy path to get to the finals and at least you get to the finals and get to take on LeBron? I mean, is that the reasoning? Because it doesn't seem to me like the Nets are, are the team that can't be beat. I still think they'll have a hard time with the Lakers, maybe with the Clippers if they get there. But it's going to be against a team in the West. Is it strictly because it's such an easy door now in the East to just walk through? I, I, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. You, you get into the best of seven, and anything can happen at that point. And, you know, you saw the Lakers. The story came out right after that, that uh, announcement that, it looks like they're going to pick up Andre Drummond uh, come tomorrow night uh, to back up their their depth, bench depth as well. So I mean, you're looking at the teams. Essentially, it's Lakers and Nets is what is the, is the uh, consensus. But 
we'll see what happens. You know, they're making moves to, to play for the playoffs now, Tom. You know, let me ask you, though, Tim, in, in the totality of this, what's going to be lost is, oh, wow, you know, they're going to the Nets, and here we go. They're going to the Nets, and it's the Nets, and it's the Nets, and look at the stacked team, and look at the stacked team. But we don't talk about the reality of what is going on. Is Aldridge, at this stage of his career, a difference maker? All right? I mean, how much is he not. truly adding? Right. Uh, probably not, no. But, I, you know, it kills me, too. I guess it's just they're hoping that – obviously, the minutes are going to be limited, right, Tom? They're going to play limited minutes. So maybe they'll, they'll be fresher in the playoffs in case they need them. I, I don't know. I'm not sure that – theory behind yeah i i look at i look at aldridge and i just say you know what he's clearly on the decline of his career he'll add a little something and to a team like this he could add something i just don't know if you turn around and you go you know he's going to be a difference maker like i said obviously we're going to sit back and we're going to talk about the nets getting more talent and the nets getting this and aldridge going to the net we're going to clearly go down that path of the Nets, you know, being the super team. I just don't think he adds all that much, and the conversation is getting lost on what exactly does this guy add. Remains to be seen, Tom. Remains to be seen. Let's uh, let's jump around here. Let's move into some baseball. So tomorrow night we will finish our previews, divisional previews. We'll do the American League East and the National League Central tomorrow night as we get moving towards the opening day, which is Thursday, April 1st. But there are some, some big injuries here as t- most teams are making their final cuts, Tommy, including your Yankees involved. Uh, so injuries playing a huge part already before the season's even started. Yeah, Luke Voigt goes down. That is a big blow to the Yankees. They say what you want. I know the Yankees are a stacked team, absolutely out of control stacked. Offense is crazy. They could deal with Luke Voigt for out for, for two months, but it's still – Look, Jay Bruce is going to be the starting first baseman, it looks like, right? I mean, it looks like Jay Bruce is going to be the starting first baseman for the New York Yankees on opening day. Uh, that is is a small problem for the New York Yankees. Jay, Luke Voigt is a bat in the middle of the lineup that, that they were counting on. But that's nothing compared to Eloy Jimenez going down. And Eloy Jimenez is in the heart of a White Sox order that the White Sox were getting so much steam, especially for sports bettors out there. People were all in on Chicago. And the question was, what what could derail this team? And I continue to keep saying, you know what? They were a young team. And being a young team, hiccups in the road come. Uh, you know, pressure comes. If they were pushed by Minnesota, well, could they handle the pressure? Losing their, I, I mean, can we say their best player? You know, losing their best player, the middle of the bat lineup guy, most likely for the entire year. Tim, their lineup itself can get past this. But can young guys like Moncada, Madrigal, uh, you know, can they, Andrew Vaughn is probably going to have to step up. Can they get past the idea? We were the favorites in this division. We now have pressure on us in, in this division. And all of a sudden, we now just lost the middle of our lineup. The, the guy that most of us are looking at as the most talented player and the best player on that team. I think the White Sox who, oh, last week I'm sitting back and I'm going, you know what? White Sox are the Yankees' biggest competition. I I talked to Rob about that, right? He wrote an article about that. And I said, I think the White Sox are the Yankees' biggest competition in the American League. I don't really see another viable team there. 
all of a sudden the White Sox are a team you look at, I think this is a huge blow. You know, it's fun watching, especially towards the end of spring training, as you see teams are breaking camp and they're going to go to the respective cities. You look at a team like last year, we saw basically Tampa get to the city. You know, they're two games away from winning the title, right, Tom? And then they get to – they had an opportunity in that series that if it would have went their way, they would have won the title with just a bare backbones. You know, not even – I know there's no cap – just really not spending any money. And, and you saw a guy like Tyre Glasnow, who's been one of their top prospects for a few years, kind of get thrust into that that position. You know, I watched him today just mowing down twins left and right. You know, it's going to be fun this year when you look at some of these young guys. And now he's taking that step up, right, Tommy? Snell's gone. Morton's gone. He's the guy now. And it was good to see him kind of react in that positive way in his last spring start. Yeah, you, I, I got a report also from San Diego that said Blake Snell looked absolutely uh, ridiculous. If you've watched James Paxton tonight, I think he struck out like nine guys in four innings. It was something crazy. James Paxton, who, who was coming back from a surgery and, and back in Seattle. Tim, I want to ask you something about baseball since we're on the baseball uh, path here. The young guys at the service time where they have to stay down, whatever, it's like a, an arbitrary 36-day rule or what, whatnot. You're watching guys like Nico Horner were sent down. He had a huge, for the Cubs, he had a huge spring. This was the guy that every Cub fan thought was going to be the second baseman. Now they said David Bodie's going to go there. Kind of a utility guy. I get they're doing it for service time. But it's still, are we really holding down Nico Horner for service time? Jared Kalenic. Kalenic is the guy, Kelnick I think is is how I said. Uh, Jared Kelnick is the guy in Seattle that is the heir apparent. He's the guy that they're saying is uh, basically the best prospect in baseball after Wander Franco. He is the all-everything. He's going to be the face of the franchise. Now, we know that the now-fired executive for the Mariners came up and said, we're going to manipulate his service time. I mean, he told the world that. And guess what? They're manipulating his service time. That's one thing. We get it. And he had a little bit of an injury this year, so it made it a little easier to do. But now they just got news that Lewis is going to be injured, and they're kind of looking now for a veteran, they're actually on the waiver wire looking for a veteran outfielder rather than bring up Kelnick, who is the future of that organization. This time of year, I start to get frustrated. Me and you are minor league guys, right? We enjoy the minor leagues. We like to see these guys come up and really start playing well. And when you start to come up and you start to see these guys playing well, and then they get held down for the service time, not only do I think it's detrimental to them, I think it's detrimental to the team itself. And the team is kind of hurting itself, especially, uh, you know, the the Cubs, who still are kind of claiming that they want the division this year, even though they're saying, oh, you know what, we're going to sell eventually. They're still kind of claiming they want the division this year. Seattle's doing it because they, they know they're not going to be competitive. But I can't stand the service time manipulation. And it seems like it's getting worse instead of better as the years go on. Yeah, I think we saw uh, Keyboom, Carter Keyboom, the same thing in Washington, right, Tom? They sent him down. Yeah, Keyboom is the same thing. You're right. Yeah, another guy. Now, he wasn't tearing it up, but he's another guy. You look around the league and you see these guys. Um, there are certain situations that it's okay. Domingo German has been lights out. Now, this guy is a piece of garbage, okay? Not sticking up for his character issue, but he has been lights out. Now, Debbie Garcia is going to be sent down. He's going to be sent down because of service time and, and whatnot. But he was legitimately beat out. I'm okay with that. You know, Mackenzie Gore 
is going to be sent down. Probably could start right now. He's going to be sent down. I'm okay with that. It's when you are watching your kind of uh, you know team grow and you're saying, I'm going to stunt its growth to prepare for five years from now. And in a lot of cases, you could tell me, you know what? It's good business. It's a, I just think it's bad for the game. And this is the time where you start to see that happen. You start to see the service time really take its effect. And usually, right, Tom? When, when it, I, okay, I get, I get the whole manipulation of the system, right? The, the, the teams, the owners want that extra year. I get it. But they're sending them down into a camp situation because with the way the minor leagues are set up this year, it's a May start. So it's still another month. And they're just going to be playing what inter squad games. I mean, really, at that point, what do you? What benefit is it? You're, you're not. They're not getting in the necessary uh, reps that they're going to need against live competition, other than the own guys in their camp. That's it. Yeah, that's the problem. And, and you know, you 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 try to see it from their perspective. And you you know, one of the other things that if we're on a rant here, because it's probably uh, <laughs> you know, last time we could just touch on nothing but baseball. You know, tomorrow's basketball, and I want to touch on a uh, little NFL news tomorrow, but. We're talking about, you know, going down to, to opening day. Some of these teams are putting closers into closers role, Tim. Not because they earn the job, but just because they're supposed to be the closer. And the two things that happen in spring training, people ask me about spring training all the time. Do I bet spring training? I go, no, I absolutely don't. I don't bet spring training games. Maybe there'll be one or two spots a year where I go, ah, you know what, I'm going to take a shot. But generally, I don't. As a matter of fact, I have a so do you, by the way, in the morning. We have a big fantasy draft. Uh, you have it at, at nice and early on a Sunday morning. I have mine at 1 o'clock. And we have a fantasy draft. <laughs> and in that fantasy draft, I go, you know what? Even in fantasy baseball, I try to ignore spring stats. I don't like to hear best shape of their life. I hate that garbage. I don't like to hear, you know what? He's hitting the ball like he's never hit. Oh, we've never seen. Oh, it's going to be the best. I, I, I try to tune out the noise. I try to not care. Oh, you know what? Clayton Kershaw didn't look good this spring. That's cool. He never looks good in the spring. You know, I try to clear out all of the noise from a betting angle and from a, a fantasy angle, but some of it does seep in. What seeps in for me is service time and the naming the closer. You know, you look at what, and UNLV native, right, or Vegas native, uh, Amir Garrett, look at what he's doing in Cincinnati. He looks untouchable right now with an open, vacant closer role. Open, vacant, closer. I think he struck out, what, nine of the 11 batters he's faced. He looks fantastic. Cincinnati said, you know what? We're not naming a closer because maybe Lucas Sims is going to be the guy and, and maybe it's Stevenson's going to be. the. What are we doing? Why? Give it to the guy that has earned the job. And you see this throughout the league. You see this scattered around in positions of wait a minute. Oh, oh, let, let, let's go see. Oh, oh, yeah, well, you have a name. I'm going to go with your name. Not how you performed. Not how you performed at the end of last year. Not how you performed here. No, no, we're just going to go and throw your name. And you're. this is one of the things that kind of drive me crazy. We see a lot of turnover in relievers, Tim. The reason why we see a lot of turnovers in relievers is because of exactly this. They're giving the job to the wrong guy because he's just got a name attached. Yeah, and you know, um, it's weird. You even have teams that are looking at six-man rotations to start the year, and, and, you know, it's not a condensed season, right, Tom? Last year was very shortened, and it's going to be interesting to see how the depth goes, I guess, as the summer progresses because, 
I don't want to say they're not ready, Tommy, but really it's almost like they, they missed a year, isn't it? It seems like it. You know, one of the things I, I was talking about this morning on my uh, sports garden show, um, and, and we'll be on again tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., we did a fantasy baseball preview, right? So fantasy baseball first hour, second hour is sports betting. And I said, you know, this is the year that I think veteran pitchers are really going to have the leg up because I trust a guy like a Garrett Cole, like a Jacob deGrom. I, I trust an, an older arm, somebody that knows what they're doing. I trust a Charlie Morton, right? I trust these older guys that know how to kind of regiment their body and say, you know, I know I missed a year, but I'm going to be able to, to push it forward. I think it's massive, Tim, that we're looking at a season where a lot of these big names, a lot of these top-name flight pitchers, they are not throwing even 180 innings. Forget about 200. Clayton Kershaw will not see 200 innings. I don't think he sees 180. He might not see 150. Walker Bueller, not seeing 200, may not see 180, probably going to see close to like 160. You uh, Darvish. He's not seeing 180 innings. Blake Snell, he's not seeing 180 innings, right? So go down the list of how many guys. I just mentioned James Paxton, not seeing 180 innings. Go down the list of the guys that you can count on. Even the mainstays like a Max Scherzer. I'm concerned about Max Scherzer this year. Zach Granke. I'm concerned about Zach Granke this year. There's not a lot of starting pitchers in the league coming off of a COVID year that was shortened. Innings are shortened. Games are going to be uh, you know, different, and their arms are different. There's not a lot of guys in this league, Tim, that I trust any longer to say, you know what, you're going to be good for 180 innings this year. I'm not even asking 200. I'm asking 180. Tom, let's, let's talk about the trade in the NFL as we wrap it up tonight. I know that we'll, we'll dive more you into You don't want to save that for tomorrow, Tim? MLB tomorrow. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of a it's a hot topic, right? I know, and I know it's going to lead into a big discussion because there are definitely some degrees of separation based on this trade, and, and we're talking about teams involved and other teams involved. But but I think it it, it you know it values some talk tonight with Miami did because it's it's huge for them, and we can just we can limit it to just the Miami side of it, Tom, and then tomorrow we can talk about the Frisco and quote-unquote the New England and angle to it as well, if you want to do that. Well, I'll just say this. My, my two cents on the trade is one. it's one of the smartest trades I've seen uh, a professional team make in my lifetime. And I'm not overshooting it. Smartest. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm not saying it's mind-blowing. I'm not saying this is Herschel Walker. But at the end of the day, when the smoke cleared at the end of the day, the Miami Dolphins moved down three spots. Three spots. They picked up a th- uh, third-round pick this year first-round pick in two years from now, and they moved down three spots. Not only did they move down three spots, they moved down three spots, and they know they're still going to get the guy that they would have had at that number. The guy that, that they wanted at number three, we are going in this draft, we are going three of the top four and very potentially four straight quarterbacks. Okay, We'll get into this tomorrow night. The Miami Dolphins have decided we don't need a quarterback. So they're not going Lawrence they're not going Fields. They're not going Trey Lance. That, and they're not going Wilson. That very well could be one, two, three, four. At five, more than likely, uh, Penny Sewell is going to go. So that means that Miami Dolphins said, okay, we don't want a quarterback, and we're going to take our chances that we miss out on the best offensive lineman in, the, in this draft, which now is up for a little bit of debate, which I think is ridiculous. But okay, Miami's sitting at six. 
Well, where they were sitting a couple of picks before that at number three, they still had the same options. The minute that they decided we are going with Tua, they made the decision to move down. They moved down three slots, picked up a third and a future first rounder to move out three spots, guys. Okay? Everybody bashes the Bears for moving up one spot and taking Mitch Trubinsky. Okay? Because, oh, that bad. How can you move up one spot? Miami Dolphins moved back three spots and look at the hole that they got. And more than likely, I'm not in the draft room and neither are you, but more than likely, Miami's going to get the exact same player that they would have taken at three that they're going to be able to take at six, except they acquired a third and a first. And that first valuable in that if Frisco craps the bed, so to speak, Tommy, they could be looking at another high first-round pick. And I wouldn't be surprised if Miami trades again. Yeah, I really wouldn't. It, it might be one of those situations where they're they're hoping for Sewell, saying, all right, let's, let's sit, sit here, and maybe they, they retrade again. Miami is building a, a absolute dynasty behind the, the scenes. Now, look, they got to perform on the field, okay? And dynasties are hard to do. But the amount of draft picks that they're they are getting, the amount of targets, you look at what they have been putting together, and you cannot be more impressed with this Miami Dolphins team. Think about where Miami is now. We're, they are the talk of the draft. We're talking about them as a potential playoff team. Look at how many draft picks they have in the next three years. Oh, my goodness. Three short years ago, Adam Gase was on the sidelines. Yeah, that's, that's uh, it was a huge, huge haul. And like I said, tomorrow we'll talk about the 49er side of it. And we'll talk about the New England angle that, that's uh, popping up now, Tommy, as well. But, you know, it's going to be a good day tomorrow. We've got the college hoop slate. We'll break those games down for you. And then, of course, we'll finish up our Major League Baseball previews. And that, that includes our division, Tom, the AL East, where the Yanks and the Orioles reside as spring spring training will be done and opening day on the 1st. So or, uh, what's the opening day plans? Any opening day plans for, for Tom Barton? Are you going to be at Barton's place? Yeah, I'm going to Barton's place. Going to Barton's place uh, and, and basically leave me alone uh, for 12 hours. That, that's kind of the way it goes. <laughs> you know, leave me alone for like 12 hours. Don't come to me with your problems. I just want to watch baseball all day. All right, Tom, talk about Sports Garden Network. you got a show coming up this morning. And, uh, of course, TomBartonSports.com. Another good day. Yeah, guys, go check it out. Uh, it's Sports Garden Network. We have Carlos Baerga tomorrow morning. So that's going to be a, a pretty good interview. Also, we're doing, like I said, our fantasy preview. It's interesting this year. There's the first year that I can remember that Mike Trout isn't the consensus number one overall. As a matter of fact, our fantasy expert did not pick Mike Trout overall. I did. But he would not pick Mike Trout number one overall. So it's a little fantasy on the show. Carlos Baerga gives us a lot of good stuff. Talking about Lindor going from Cleveland to New York. The same thing that Carlos did. And we'll talk about Ken Lindor handle it. He's good friends with Lindor. Calls him like his, his, uh, basically his nephew. So good stuff at Sports Garden Network and TomBartonSports.com. Guys, rolling right along another winner today. Of course, I was on Oral Roberts. Why wouldn't I be tomorrow? Uh, look, I got another basketball play up. Make sure you go check it out. It's TomBartonSports.com. All right, Tom. Have a good day. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. Have a good one, guys. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com, Sports Garden Network. And we'll be back at it again at 10 o'clock. 
right here, Fox Sports Radio, 99 FM, 1340 AM. Great Sunday. We'll talk to you then. Good night. Never leave.